0: I'm Bonnie Glazer, director of the China Power Project at the Center for Strategic and International Studies in Washington, D.C. In this episode of the China Power podcast, we're discussing Chinese policy toward Latin America and the Caribbean. What are China's interests in the region, and in what ways is Beijing interacting with these nations? What are the perceptions of China in the region, and how should the United States Respond to increased Chinese involvement in what is its traditional sphere of influence. Discussing these issues with us today is Dr. Evan Ellis, who is a research professor of Latin American studies at the U.S. Army War College Strategic Studies Institute, where he focuses on the region's relationships with China and other non Western hemisphere actors. Dr. Ellis, thanks for joining us today.
1: It's a pleasure to be with you.
0: So can you give our listeners a thumbnail sketch of the history of China's engagement with Latin American Caribbean countries? And and what are China's interests in the region?
1: Sure. Prior to 2001, when China joined the World Trade Organization, its interactions with Latin America and the Caribbean were limited and primarily political in orientation. After uh, the the communist regime came to power in China in 1949, there is, of course, a struggle between China and Taiwan, and many of the interactions with Latin America and other parts of the world, especially accelerating in the 1970s, were a fight for diplomatic recognition of those countries with Taiwan. However, uh, with the uh, ascension of China into the World Trade Organization, its uh, economy had really begun to take off and with that uh, its uh, interactions uh, with uh, various countries in the world. And so you saw from about 2001 and, and really through that decade a expansion of um, trade. It was uh, primarily uh, China purchasing uh, commodities and, and foodstuff from the region and selling a broad uh, basket of goods. However, Chinese investment in the region really began to take off in about 2009-2010 when taking advantage of the international financial crisis, uh, Chinese companies um, began to uh, acquire uh, a number of, of different uh, um, companies in the petroleum and uh, the uh, mining sector among, among others uh, as well as uh, beginning to expand its presence in other sectors such as telecommunications and um, final assembly uh, factory projects, and especially in big markets such as Brazil and, and Mexico. Uh, in addition to that, of course, uh, you began to see a, a shift in uh, China's engagement um, in about the past uh, three to four years, as China developed a greater understanding of how to engage on the ground and began to adjust its, its interest, and even began to move into uh, security engagement and, and some more advanced uh, types of, of political engagement. In general, you can say that China's primarily interests in the region are economic, but that does not make them any the less strategic. China is basically doing what it needs to do to continue its rise based on the way that it is has inserted itself into the region, um, into the the world economy as a primary product Uh, consumer and uh, exporter of of manufactured goods. And so that means that China needs things from Latin America, uh, like um, petroleum, like uh, metals and and minerals, and like foodstuffs to feed the 1.35 billion Chinese people. Reciprocally, China needs access to Latin America's markets, not only for goods as it moves up the value-added chain, but also for services, um, such as uh, logistics, port services, electronics, uh, etc. However, China also recognizes that it needs Latin in America to help it uh, insert itself into the world's financial system as, as well as uh, the world's um, uh, you know, political space as China seeks to remold the world in many ways to be a world that continues to be safe for the continued rise of, of China.
0: you focused um, mostly on China's economic interests as a motivator of its uh, activities in the region. But again, in the last part of your question, talked a little bit about how China wants to have more political influence. So um, can you maybe elaborate on whether there is a strategic element at play for China? Is, is China seeking to weaken American interests and influence in the region? Um, why does China, s- or does China see the Latin America Caribbean area as important for China's g- global interests? Sure. Sure. First
1: and foremost, uh, China's engagement in Latin America, as well as other parts of the world, is more about China than it is about the United States. And so it's about getting secure access to the things that China needs. Um, and getting that is, of course, uh, critical uh, to the uh, you know, continued rise of China, its, its prosperity, and without the future of, of the Communist Party. However, because China recognizes that it is uh, rising in, in a world which is not entirely of its own making, that Bretton Woods systems, uh, institutions such as the United Nations, um, it understands that it needs to um, use its engagement throughout the world to to make certain changes. And so, for example, you see the structuring of commodity purchases in places like um, you know, Brazil and in Argentina in a way that is explicitly uh, trying to also at the same time not only obtain food, but also to advance the internationalization of their currency, their RMB. Uh, you also recognize that uh, there are certain countries uh, where China has both economic interests but also uh, – also, uh, strategic interests, in um, in with respect to the United States, and so arguably, while uh, China is very careful not to explicitly ally itself with the anti-imperialistic, anti-U.S. Uh, project of, of the current Venezuelan regime, um, it does go beyond uh, China's interest in access to Venezuela's 300 billion uh, barrels of, of crude oil, and it goes into uh, China's interest in the continuity of a regime that you know is actively a thorn in in, in the U.S. side, and. In general, uh, China recognizes the importance of having a web of, of friendships and, and political influence, uh, you know, throughout the world. And so, you see, for example, that as the United States pulled away, from uh, there were raised considerable, uh, you know, doubts about its intention in, in the trade and other uh, uh, regions after the. Uh, 2016 presidential elections, that uh, China actually took advantage of a vehicle, a diplomatic vehicle called um, the uh, strategic partnerships of which it has uh, eight with eight different uh, countries in the region, and significantly upgraded uh, virtually all of those partnerships uh, from 2016 uh, going forward. And so, uh, uh, you know, countries uh, such as Mexico, with which it's uh, you know taking advantage of of some of the the tensions with the United States right now, in addition to uh, countries that we would see as you know more traditional, uh, you know. Uh, adversaries of, of the United States, such as uh, such as Venezuela. So it's really a multi-pronged effort, and um, you know the fact that it it is only modestly uh, with military and and uh, political components doesn't make it any the less strategic.
0: So if we look at the various aspects of China's involvement with Latin American and and uh, Caribbean countries, uh, what are the priorities for for China? Are there specific subregional strategies or individual? countries that are really central uh, for for china and how does the trade and investment picture look uh compared to other countries
1: well i'd say china has multiple priorities Uh, china somewhat different than the United States that does not feel the compulsion to uh, put forth one Universal strategy or one a universal style of, of engagement based on a presumption of, of universal values And so you see in countries which are highly institutionalized with a market orientation such as for example Chile or to a lesser extent Colombia um, China is doing its best to engage in uh, traditional competitive uh, public bidding and um, you know things of that nature whereas in places like the Caribbean and uh, and uh, the all the states uh, Venezuela Ecuador um, you know Bolivia you know Cuba um, you know, etc uh, whose governments are more willing to uh, engage in. Um, Government to government uh, types of negotiations China is very willing to take advantage of that disposition and and frankly that need of those governments who have isolated themselves from the the traditional system to, to go forward in in different parts of, of the world you can discern um, you know different uh, objectives based on the Structures of those economies and the structures of of, of those governments. Uh, so, in places like Brazil, of course, who have massive amounts of, of uh, soybeans and iron and things to to offer, you know, much of China's strategy is focused on. So that, as well as uh, seeking access to uh, Brazil's market, China last year invested almost 30 billion dollars um, in, in Brazil. Uh, in other places, such as such as Chile, you see a great deal of interest in, in the copper. Obviously, in Venezuela, you have uh, the oil. Um, in other regions, uh, for example, in Mexico, whose uh, the structure of whose economy is uh, Makes it somewhat more of a competitor to China, although um, Chinese companies have sought certain inroads um, in, um, with respect to uh, manufacturing enterprises, uh, as as well as uh, to a smaller degree in the the oil sector and in telecommunications. Um, you see that uh, China has been somewhat more reserved uh, in in Mexico. Of course, in in Central America, with the exception of of Panama, where it is moving forth, uh, you know, strongly and aggressively following the establishment of diplomatic relations. Um, but in the, the Northern Triangle portion of Central America, with which China does not have diplomatic relations, uh, you see some construction projects and other things, but, but China moving very cautiously. Um, the Caribbean is an interesting outlier in that, um, you know, just as China is very sensitive and recognizes the strategic importance of, of its own proximate seas, the South China Sea and the East China Sea, uh, China presumably sees um, uh, the Caribbean as an area of strategic importance and sensitivity for the United States. and so it is. Per- particularly interesting that some of the most significant um, uh, equity investment by Chinese companies in places like the Bahamas with Bahamar and and the massive uh, uh, container port in in Freeport, or some of the most significant um, on a per capita basis uh, construction projects such as the North-South Highway in Jamaica, the East-West Highway, etc., as as well as a number of different hospitals and clinics, Um, on a per capita basis, China has done things in the Caribbean, uh, recognizing mm-hmm. that that is uh, right there in the U.S. backyard, um, far beyond what it's uh, done in, in, in other parts. And, and that actually includes uh, engagement with uh, military and, and police forces as well. So it's a, it's a, it's a strategy that, that seems to be customized both to uh, what the economies have to offer, as well as the uh, the geography, and as well as the, the, um, the political situation of each country as they relate both to the United States and China.
0: Let's talk a little bit about China's arms exports uh, to the region, which apparently have grown, I think, to over a billion US dollars, uh, particularly due to fairly large uh, weapons purchases by Peru and Venezuela and uh, Mexico. So as China's state-led defense exports to the region continue to rise, can we expect that this will lead to a deeper defense relationship between China and Latin American? countries and if so do you expect that this will have any impact on regional stability
1: China isn't pursuing a path uh, akin to what the Soviet Union did during the Cold War however a defense uh, relationship uh, is can Clearly, uh, increasing in all fronts, um, and it's not just the weapon sales. But uh, China has, for quite a long time now, uh, brought uh, students from Latin America's uh, military institutions. Um, uh, virtually every uh, country that recognizes uh, China's uh, government uh, has, has sent uh, people to uh, their national defense university in champing to similar facilities uh, on the army and navy side in. Um, in, in and outside Nanjing and Xi'an etc., et cetera, as well as actually sending personnel to uh, places like the um, the, uh, the Lanceros uh, School in uh, Ptolemae Colombia or the Riverine School um, that the, the Brazilians run in, in, in Manaus. Uh, China has sent uh, forces of increasing um, capability uh, and, and complexity to the region, starting out with the deployment of peacekeepers to the MINUSTAH Force in, in Haiti in, uh, from 2004 to 2012. Um, it's uh, conducted by bi- Bilateral, but still humanitarian activities uh, such as the uh, um, exercise with, with the Peruvians back in 2010 with a mobile field hospital that they that they donated. It has uh, sent uh, its uh, hospital ship the Peace Ark uh, to the region now twice. Once just to the Caribbean, and the second time in 2015 uh, to both the Caribbean and in the Pacific. Um, it's uh, conducted on the small scale um, uh, combat exercises, uh, specifically with the the Chileans back in in 2013. But as you point out, in, in addition to that, um, China recognizes that uh, defense is a strategically important um, uh, sector in many ways, like uh, you know, cars or, or electronics are, are a strategically important sector for for China. And so um, starting with uh, politically receptive countries such as Venezuela and, and Bolivia and, and Ecuador, um, China has started moving up the, the value-added chain initially with things like military uniforms, night vision goggles, et cetera, to trucks. And then uh, increasingly, um, you have, uh, the, for example, the, the sale of the uh, JYL-1 uh, radar to, to Venezuela, the, the sale of the K-8, uh, K-8 fighters, then uh, move to a, a more capable uh, L-15 fighter, etc. cetera. The extending of the product offering. So you now have, for example, uh, you know, um, China Ship Industrial Corporation, CSIC, which is uh, selling uh, um, long-range patrol vessel. Uh, for example, to Trinidad and, and Tobago, you see uh, some of the the armament, uh, the major armor uh, uh, companies such as the Narinco Group, which uh, not only is is uh, expanding its offering to Venezuela, everything from multiple launch rocket system um, vehicles to to self propelled mortars uh, to riot control vehicles, which have been used to, to suppress the the Venezuelan people. Um, to uh, expanding markets. So you see, for example, uh, Norinco succeeding for the first time and actually beating out the Russians to uh, sell a, a multiple launch rocket system, the, the Type 90B, to, um, to, to Peru. And so, um, again, you know, much as China has done in the car sector, you, you see this. And it really has uh, two very different um, impacts. I mean, one of those impacts is that it helps China – just as with the automotive and, and other commercial sectors, bring up the quality of its product offering, the ability to maintain those, uh, better control over its supplier base, greater experience in, in dealing with those uh, th- those goods and supporting them in, in a foreign environment, working with, with foreign militaries, all of which uh, basically serves not only China's defense industrial base, but um, you know, also makes the, the PLA more effective and, and more agile in their, in their international orga- you know, orientation. Um, but it also has the the secondary benefit of supporting uh, China's um, military-to-military engagement as part of its broader kind of political strategic engagement with, with all of the countries in Latin America. I mean, it's as we, the United States, have long recognized, um, having a military sales relationship is, is part but not all of, of a, an all-around um, you know, military strategic relationship. And, and these are all things that the Chinese have explicitly recognized as far back as their 2008 Defense White Paper, um, more recently uh, and in more detail in the 2016 Defense white paper. Um, even in China's own 2015 um, defense uh, strategy white paper, which talks far beyond Latin America, they recognize the, the importance of these arms sales and military engagements as, as one of the, the, the focuses of, of the PLA. So, um, so it, it's not necessarily the, the attempt to construct anti-US you know, military bases or alliances, at least not yet. But um, you know, it, uh, it, it certainly has strategic benefits to China that um, are also uh, you know, potentially harmful uh, you know, to, to the United States.
0: How would you describe public perceptions of Chinese involvement in the region uh, and, and the trends of those perceptions? Uh, If you look, for example, at uh, Pew Public Opinion polling in 2017, China's favorability was was fairly high, a range from 41% in Argentina to 61% in Peru, far higher than favorability ratings toward the United States. So what is it that people or governments and publics in in the region like or dislike about China?
1: That last part that you stated is very important because... uh my perception from having traveled in the region and, and sp- speaking with many people in the region about China is that there is a, a complex and, and mixed series of, of sentiments. On, on the one hand, you have many um, you know, political leaders and students and others who perceive a, a great opportunity in the rise of, of China, an opportunity for, um, you know, for enrichment, ac- access to, to vast Chinese markets. Um, you know, frankly, uh, you know, Latin American um, leaders do not dream of vast access to Russian markets in the same way that they dream of vast access to, to Chinese markets and, and sources of, of financing. Um, for some, uh, particularly the, the more anti-U.S.-oriented uh, leaders such as those of all the states of Venezuela comes to mind, of course, uh, you know, those types of dreams uh, take on a, a different dimension in that they also um, imply a hope of, of liberating oneself from dependence on uh, not only the United States, but Western institutions, uh, you know the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, the Inter-American Development. Bank, uh, e- e- etc., um, but um, but beyond those, I-, I would say that those uh, feelings coexist with more complex uh, feelings about the Chinese as well. Um, on the positive side, it certainly recognized that uh, you know Chinese loan financing, of which uh, you know the Chinese have provided about twice what the World Bank and the IMF have provided. Combined in, in the past uh, 10 years, about 144 billion dollars, I, I, I believe. And there's a recognition that um, the Chinese uh, loans do not come with the same level of, um, you know, policy requirements that um, you know, Western institutions have, have done. The same level of, so to speak, you know, meddling in the internal political affairs of, of the country. But on the other hand, there is an understanding that those loans um, do often come with ties that have to do with the um, the employment of, of Chinese companies and, and Chinese workers and uh, that oftentimes uh, you know the Chinese are, are consummate bureaucrats in, in negotiating deals that are um, you know very much uh, to their favor aware uh, the um, you know where, where the circumstances uh, prevent it um, There are, in different countries, there are um, different levels of presence of of Chinese communities. I mean, the Chinese in the end of the the 19th century and the early 20th century um, immigrated uh, to various parts, including um, Lima, Peru, and including, of course, uh, Mexico, including uh, the Caribbean, where they came to to work on on railroads and sugar plantations and and other things. Um, Other places such as Colombia, you have very, very uh, few Chinese. But um, in general, where the Chinese um, are in any substantial numbers of course panama comes to, to comes to mind I've generally found that there is a a respect for the hardworking nature of of, of the chinese um and the role they play in the community um although uh, oftentimes there's also often a a a sense of, of mistrust or or otherness that's applied by other members of the community and um Interestingly, in places like Suriname and Guyana and, and even in the coast of, of Venezuela or even in Argentina, you, you see um, that the economic position of the Chinese as, as, a, as a minority group um, has played a role in uh, some ethnic disturbances. Oftentimes, you know, riots and looting against uh, Chinese shops, which go to deeper cleavages in, in, in the society um, now while oftentimes in the region um you know local chinese are co-inflated with chinese businessmen and and representatives of, of the chinese government um I, I would also say that my perception is that there is a a profound distrust towards um towards china and in, in the chinese even that coexists with the expectation of great benefits from access to the markets. Um, I would say in, in many ways, if, uh, you know, the United States to use a metaphor is, is resented for being kind of the overbearing uncle, we are still seeing as Part of the family, even while we are resented, whereas um, oftentimes the, the Chinese are, are seen more as the um, as the stranger who can provide, you know, great benefits or potentially inflict uh, great harm. Um, so there is certainly um, a tone of, of respect and cordiality and the hopes for for benefits. But I think in most countries in the region, um, as much as people have hopes towards the Chinese, there's an underlying distrust that um, has not been entirely dispersed.
0: There's been, I think, a debate, discussion uh, since China had really began Mm -hmm. stepping up its activities in uh, Latin America and the Caribbean about how the United States should respond. And Uh, There are some people who view China's uh, commercial, its development schemes positively. Uh, Point, for example, to a recent statement by Peru's trade minister who said China's a very good partner uh, for his country. Uh, But then I think there are others who are more concerned about China's growing influence. We recently heard Secretary of uh, State Tillerson talk about um, imperial Chinese trade ambitions um, and uh, tout the United States as the region's preferred trading partner. Um, So how do you look at this? Um, is, Is there a right way to view China's influence in the region should the United States be concerned?
1: Well, I think there's two parts to that question. Um, you know, one is 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 how should uh, Chinese advances be interpreted, and the other is how has the United States and, and its policy uh, establishment uh, reacted, and how how those reactions uh, you know changed. Um, certainly, um, I would say that one of the difficulties in understanding um, the uh, Chinese motivations is uh, the notion that uh, you know for China, um, its interactions with Latin America have been driven by by motivations to the benefit of China. Now, that may or may not be to the benefit of, of Latin America. China is, is you know, very effective in using the discourse of, of win-win, but uh, at the end of the day, um, it, it's generally mostly about China winning and, and obtaining um, what, what China needs. And, and if Latin America can win too, or if Latin America will go along with what China wants because it's, it's convinced that it will win, well, that's, um, you know, that's good too. Um, however, what has happened is that um, the enormity of Chinese economic engagement has um, directly or indirectly uh, influenced not only the economic structure, but also the uh, political dynamics of of Latin America as elsewhere in the world. And so, um, you know, from an economic standpoint, uh, you find many countries such as Brazil, where the combination of the um, expansion of exports of of primary products uh, bought at the lowest possible value-added point by, by the Chinese in combination with the import of um, a broad basket of, you know, increasingly high-value-added manufacturing products, you know, transitioning from, um, you know, cheap shoes and, and, and toys and, and clothing to now, you know, cars and motorcycles and consumer electronics. Um, that process has really led to a somewhat of a deindustrialization um, of many of the traditional, um, you know, partially industrialized countries in the region. i Brazil and Mexico, you know certainly uh, among others, um, with impacts for for value added um, and the um, the you know, levels of, of prosperity and, and where the good jobs actually are. But beyond that, for the United States, um, it is also meant that um, you have some countries uh, such as uh, the all the countries, especially Venezuela, for whom uh, China providing a financial and and uh, a market option um, has prolonged, the livelihood of those regimes as they have actively worked against the United States um, and, and U.S. policy interests. Uh, in other areas, it's a bit more subtle. Um, whether it's uh, you know Chile or Colombia or other you know, traditionally you know pro-U.S. allies, where the mere diversity of options makes it easier for those countries to um, look with. You know, neutrality, or certainly uh, not succumb to U.S. pressure. Going back to the days when the U.S. was the the only game in town. Um, and certainly in the context of the current U.S. administration of, of uh, you know, President Trump taking a very hard uh, line on a number of different uh, you know, trade and, and other uh, items, um, the availability of, of China as, as an option, both symbolically and, and economically, makes it that much easier for Latin America to, to move away from the United States. But the combined effect of all of that is a region in many ways that is somewhat less um, prosperous, is, is uh, impaired in its ability to... Uh, pursue manufacturing. But frankly, also, it means uh, um, longer lives of, you know, regimes of, of limited democratic commitment, such as Venezuela. It means that uh, U.S. policy um, perspectives uh, regarding human rights and, and free markets and, and rule of law um, fall on less receptive ears. And so, um, and, and frankly, as the influence of, of China increases uh, in, in a number of states uh, and You have uh, China also establishing a commercial presence on the ground, as well as the the military ties that we alluded to before. Um, That means that the strategic environment in in what was, uh, um, you know, much more unquestionably, a, a U.S. influenced hemisphere is is changing, and, and frankly, in the undesirable future for a, a military conflict, to which you know, if it starts in Asia, it certainly uh, will eventually turn into a, a global fight. Um, you know that commercial presence, as well as the military relationships, give uh, U.S. Uh, policymakers things to think about that they didn't have to before. Now, the second part of your question, more briefly, is that. Um, during, of course, uh, the um, Obama administration and before. uh, Not only was the level of Chinese engagement and the relative lack of of investment not as directly, you know, menacing. But I think there was also a some ambiguity in the appropriate way for the United States to to respond, given the sense that, uh, you know, it was difficult for the United States in the current day and age to say that uh, China, um, you know, Latin America, you know, you can't economically engage with with China. Um, but um, certainly, with Secretary Tillerson, I, I think you see a a combination of two things. One, the Chinese. Uh, Political and military orientation, the scale of its economic uh, orientation, and really the implication of the threat to U.S. equities has become, has crystallized, has become much more clear. Um, And in combination with a, a group of policymakers of this very different U.S. administration who are more willing to interpret those um, indications in in more threatening ways and and, and more disposed to to act on them. Now, I think the most important thing, though, to understand about the much misrepresented remarks of of Secretary Tillerson um, is that he was not stating a desire to return to the Monroe Doctrine, although that was the uh, most common interpretation that was given by the media in in the region. Um, What he was basically making the argument for is that a unbridled engagement by latin america with china is not necessarily in latin america's interest there's a huge difference between speaking to latin america saying um you know this is not in your interest to continue down this path um and we are still willing to help versus trying to tell latin america you know you for you know selfish us reasons should not engage with china so so i think um now, whether the United States can make that case strongly that we will be an effective friend and, and partner, and to really show that in you know economic engagement and other things we are you know better for the long-term interests of, of Latin America than, than China is. Um, that's a that's a debate and a type of competition whose future is not yet determined. But uh, I think it's a very very important uh, change in policy direction, and I think probably a much uh, needed one that we're taking. But uh, certainly one who which needs to be, um, you know, backed up by, you know, both, uh, you know, resources and, and commitment uh, by Latin American decision makers on, on the U.S. side.
0: Finally, if you just look into your crystal ball a little bit, can you tell us how you expect relations between uh, Latin American countries, Caribbean nations um, and, and China uh, to evolve in the future?
1: Well, I think it's clear that the relationship will continue to advance on all fronts. Um, you'll continue to see an expansion of the trade relationship. Um, China will continue to move into greater, uh, you know, ever higher value added production. Its companies are ever more, not only increasing the quality of their product, but becoming more sophisticated in catering to Latin American tastes, having a better product offering and in penetrating Latin American markets. Uh, part of that has been um, a greater sophistication in actually locating final assembly Assembly operations and in operating from you know mining companies to logistics companies to to banks and other things in Latin America so in many ways uh, China is also becoming much more part of the Latin American economic and and, and social political environment um, than it than it previously had been um, which means that as it gains in sophistication it will It's companies will be ever more sophisticated in using their economic leverage for, you know, political and in other means. Um, Certainly, there are some countries in Latin America with which uh, um, China will not have a good relationship. Um, uh, You know, it. Uh, what happens in Mexico, of course, so with upcoming elections and, and the inherent uh, economic competition uh, remains to be seen. Um, I think uh, you'll have other countries which are uh, welcoming and, and embracing China, and I think you'll see cycles of uh, some countries going back and forth, embracing China and later deciding that uh, that engagement was not entirely good for them, and and moving towards a more um, you know hostile towards China policy, just as the um Latin American engagement with the United States in different countries has gone through oscillating cycles during during its uh, you know time um, Latin America will continue to be a close partner of the United States some places closer than than others um and um, again um certain logical um partners such as for example the um mexico um, not you know, withstanding what happens in uh, the upcoming uh, you know, Mexican elections here in in july um, but uh, you know with with NAFTA again notwithstanding whether or not we pull out of NAFTA will you know continue to be a, a there's a logical partnership in manufacturing and in agricultural exports et cetera. The same has to do with with the Caribbean with which uh, we are tied in in terms of of people and the proximity of of markets um However, frankly, uh, you could see uh, also uh, great uh, changes in in both the Caribbean and Central America um, insofar as that, uh, you know, China decides to move uh, past its initial advance in in Panama and and begin to establish diplomatic relationships with uh, some of the countries in, for example, the Northern Triangle, which, uh, you know, heretofore have recognized Taiwan or, you know, the, the remaining half of, of of the Caribbean. And that could open the door for for many other uh, types of, of relationships. So I think it will continue to be a a, a complex dynamic. Um, what is is not clear also is what the U.S. policy response uh, will be. But, uh, you know, China is, is definitely, uh, you know, here to stay. And, and the strategic challenges that it presents are are going to be something that I think are going to be a, a recurring you know theme in the um, you know, the uh, you know policy debates uh that the United States has about its own relationship with with Latin America, but if nothing else, uh, China as well as Russia in that engagement, I think in many ways forces the United States for the first time in in many years really to think seriously about the strategic importance of the region for for us and the interdependencies that we have not only in terms of of trade and and, and investment but in terms of, of of family and and other things that really mean that you know, for good or bad, what happens in the region um, is intimately related to U.S. prosperity and insecurity. So if there's one positive element that comes out of this Chinese engagement for for the United States, hopefully it is that recognition of the enduring importance of the region to the United States.
0: We've been talking with Dr. Evan Ellis, who's Research Professor of Latin American Studies at the U.S. Army War College's Strategic Studies Institute. Thanks again for talking to us today.
1: Thank you,